0: Thank you, church family, for being here. Uh, it's, we're going back to something. I mean, it's almost like this is the first proper Sunday post-COVID regulations. And, and I wonder what normal is. I wonder what normal is. Uh, so much has changed, and so much is the same. And I kind of wish we could have had that moment where it went from that to this, but that's not going to happen. And one of the things I've wondered is, what is normal worship going to look like for us? One of the things I love most about this church is we don't actually have one worship style. We have, you can come on one Sunday and it's this, and then you can come on another Sunday and it's that. And for some people, that's a bit unsettling. But I wanna tell you, for me, it's fantastic. Because I think if we can create a church where everybody can worship freely and where one person can dance in front and, and another person can be in the back on their knees silently weeping before God and others can be standing and singing, that's, we'll have captured something there. Truly, worship sets us free, irrespective of the style or, or the kind of music, because because worship comes out of our heart. Sorry, that was just a bit of an, ex, an aside. But but the reason I did it is I'm so excited, because you know I usually sit over there, and since since COVID started, I haven't heard loud singing from behind me. And Today I heard it, I heard the band from the front and then I just heard the voice of the congregation from behind me and it's awesome, I'm so excited, you can tell I'm excited about a lot of things this morning and I'm excited about the book of Acts, we're going back to our study as Moira said and we're jumping in in Acts chapter 13. Um, For those of you who pay careful attention, you say, oh, but the last time we ended, we ended on chapter 11, why aren't we doing 12? Well, if you want to see something about Acts chapter 12, then listen to the sermon from last week, because although it wasn't this series, it still came from Acts chapter 12. Haley spoke from there. But we're jumping into Acts chapter 13, getting back into this big, exciting picture of this early church that started out with a small group of people, about 150 or so in Jerusalem, and just spread right through the whole world. And we believe that the book of Acts teaches us so much that we, as the church, 2,000 years later, need to go back to and remind ourselves and look and say, what are the things that happened there that we can live out today today? so that we can be Acts 29, so that we can be the church that carries on bringing the good news of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the savior of the world, to the whole world. So let's jump into Acts chapter 13. It begins like this. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Saul, called Naja, Uh, a Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So that's the introduction. They're painting a picture. There's this church in a place called Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey, just on the border of Syria and Turkey. That's where this church was. And it was a dynamic church. It was a church that is now going to play a really important part in the spreading of the good news of Jesus. If you know your church history, you will know that the church from the beginning has known that their job is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They've always known that, that every church has responsibility to go out. But even that early church didn't do it very well. They stuck around in Jerusalem, and they knew that Jesus had told them that the gospel isn't just for for Jews but for everybody, every tribe, every nation. But somehow they still didn't get it and so they stuck together. And then God actually had to give them a bit of a nudge and the persecution broke out and we'll read a little bit about that and then they spread out. One of the places they got to was this place in Antioch. And so as we are introduced by Luke, who's the guy who wrote the book of Acts, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. He, he feels that it's important enough to kind of list a group of people. He, he, he talks about a whole church, and, and the other people he doesn't put in here. But he says that there was this group, and, and, and this church was blessed with apostles and prophets and, and all sorts of other people. But he identifies this group by name because he wants to show us something. He wants us to sh- see that right from the beginning, the church is an incredibly diverse group of people. They're not just made up of one kind of person. You see, because the truth is it's easy, it's easy to hang out with people like you. It's, it's less PT. You know, it's just easy to have people that speak the same language as you, or or have the same cultural understanding, or perhaps the same level of finances. And and all of us are susceptible to that. You know, we are overjoyed to have the deaf community with us, but sometimes, even when we leave here, we kind of stick to ourselves, because I don't know sign language, I know a little bit. But I don't, And so I'm a bit afraid, and, and, and deaf folk may be afraid. It's just easier to hang out with people that are like you. But the church is not like that. God's plan was never that the church should be these generic groups of people, and so we are introduced to this amazing list. The first person that they identify is this guy called Barnabas. And Barnabas is, is a nickname, by the way, God loves giving people nicknames, he really does. He, he, he finds something about them and then he changes their name. And Barnabas, for, for want of a better term, is that, is that kind of stable, is that person you want. He, his, name, his name originally was Joseph or Josus. and then it got changed to, to Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. And if you read his history, you will discover that he was that guy who was always helping other people. He was providing financially for the church. He was providing support. He was that oak that you want with you when, when things are hard because he's just solid and he's just there. And he kind of has all the traditional pedigree that everybody wants. He was Mr ordinary mr normal but then we get introduced to somebody else his name is simon called or simeon called niger so a nickname again niger means black that's where the word the name nigeria comes from it's a latin word and this was a description of somebody who was black that was his skin color And and immediately, you see, the church is beginning to show its diversity. He came from a place called Cyrene, which is in modern-day Morocco, which was one of the first places that the church got to. And so he'd moved from Cyrene, then North Africa, to be part of the church in another part of the world. Some scholars say that he's the guy that carried Jesus' cross, Simon of Cyrene, that when Jesus was going and he stumbled and the Romans took somebody and said carry the cross, some scholars say that was him. And so he's a guy who's been around Jesus, he's Jewish by tradition, and he's been around Jesus. And now he's bought in. He now says I wanna be part of this new Jesus movement. But he doesn't come alone. He comes with another guy called Lucius, also of Cyrene. So another black person. Now here's what's interesting. We love to divide the world the way we divide it. The early church didn't divide the world so much around color as we do. They divided the church around Jew and Gentile. And if you were Jewish, it didn't matter what kind of complexion you had or what part of the world you came from, you were still in. But if you were Gentile, not so much. If you were Roman, not so much. But the point is, that whether we divide the world any way we like, God's purpose is that a group of diverse people, a group that the world around looks at and says, why are those people hanging out together? Why do those people connect? What's going on there? But it doesn't stop there. Um, By the way, this guy had been around. He's got a bit of a history with the church. Um, In Acts 11, earlier on, we read, now those who had been scattered by the persecution, remember I said God got the people out of Jerusalem through persecution. When Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. So you see see here their prejudice? They're happy to travel, but they're only talking to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who also were Jews, just looked different, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Guys, this caused a controversy in the early church, eh? There were people in the early church saying, no, 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 no. When God said inclusive, he didn't mean those people, (laughs) And, and the church has to get together and say, yes, no, God did actually mean those people. He actually did. God is serious about diversity. Another person in the list is a guy called Menaean. And again, we see a qualification behind him. Who was he? He was the guy who was brought up with Herod. He was brought up with Herod. In other words, he, as a child and as a teenager, he was very closely connected with Herod. On the surface of it, that sounds wonderful. It's not. Herod was a bad person. Herod, the one that's referred to here, if you read chapter 11, he dies. uh, Chapter 12, he dies there. He's the guy who had John the Baptist executed. He had John the Baptist murdered because he was trying to impress his friends and he was an evil person who collaborated with the romans he was jewish in origin but he collaborated with the romans being connected with with herod closely was if you were in the political world a really good thing but if you were in the church world it wasn't herod was the enemy herod was part of the group that had jesus crucified And so there may have been lots of reasons. Just like Saul, early church didn't trust Saul. Oh, that oak. Don't trust him. And and, and, and it would have been like that for the early church. Don't trust this guy. He grew up with Herod. Guilty by association. But here's what's beautiful about him. Because he grew up with Herod, He was able to give to this new church a unique insight into into the mind of the Romans, into the mind of society outside of the local church, into, into the politics of the day. And so again, this emphasis over and over, we are a diverse community. We are different, but we have this one thing in common. Jesus Christ is our savior and our Lord, and that's what brings us together. That's the, the single greatest thing to our identity. The early church struggled to do this, and then when they did it, things started happening. And the sad thing is today, is that at 29 church we have to do the same. We have to be able to say we are deliberately diverse. We will deliberately go against the norms of our society that says that group belongs together and that group and that group. We need to be able to say in order to do this, in order to take this amazing message of Jesus Christ, we have to be a diverse group where everybody is equal before Jesus, just like this early church in Antioch did. That's only the first step in their amazing journey of spreading the gospel. The next step is that they, they trusted in the power of the Holy Spirit. They trusted in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, it seems that this connection with the Holy Spirit wasn't something that they did especially in a moment. It was what they did all the time. Now the truth is that there are all sorts of ways to connect to the Holy Spirit. And and sometimes the Holy Spirit says different things to different people and that gets awkward and weird. And the early church was like that. Later on, you read that Paul and Barnabas, these two guys that are gonna get sent out, have a clash with each other, and they end up going separate ways. I don't know who was right and who was wrong. The Bible never says that. Maybe neither of them were wrong. But, but the point is this, that listening to the Holy Spirit is something that we have to do together. We have to do on our own, individually at home, and in a private time, but it is also something that God does collectively with us. Our church tradition says there isn't one person who hears specially from the Holy Spirit. Different churches have different traditions, and some churches bishops, and in some churches the senior pastor. Sometimes I wish that was, no I don't. That's only the evil me that wishes it was like that, so that I could just tell everybody what they have to do. That's not how we believe the Holy Spirit works. He speaks and so they were doing their ordinary stuff. They were meeting together, they were praying together, they were fasting, they were having meals, they were having services, they were doing all the things that a church does and in that time, God starts saying to them, I want you to do something particular. I want you to send out Saul and Barnabas. Here's one of the frustrating things about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't always make sense. Sometimes the Holy Spirit tells us to do things that on the surface don't make sense. If I'd looked at that list and I said, the two key people I need in my church to get it really good and strong would be the oak who's good at organizing Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the guy who's willing to sell his property and, and keep the church together, and the best preacher I can find, Saul. It, that's logical. But so often we discover that, the, that God actually asks us to do things that seem illogical. Things that don't humanly make sense to us. And that's why we've got to constantly be listening to the Holy Spirit just like this early church does. And they listen. And they say, the Holy Spirit is with us. He's given us power to do what, we don't need Saul and Barnabas to do what we need to do here. We've got the Holy Spirit. And so you guys go. You guys go on this mission, and they send them off to do what God had told them to do. Now, where did God choose for them to go? To an island called Cyprus. Remember, they've got the whole world to go to. So often, a local church paralyzes itself by saying, we can't do it all. We just have to listen to God so that he tells us which our next step is. What's our next step? And their next step was send these guys to Cyprus. And so off they go. And they have this amazing message. And they go to do what? To share the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and in action. That's what they're going out to do. So. A diverse group of people who love the Lord together, who listen to the Holy Spirit, and then their job is to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and in action. You know what? If we just had a magic formula, then we could all just learn it and then go and do it. Wouldn't it be so nice? Wouldn't it be so nice if there was this magic formula that guaranteed, if we go out and do this, this, and this, people are going to come to Jesus and get, f- clearly they were doing something right. Because as we read, we discover that what they did, they did really successfully. You know what? You are the reason that you're here, because they did this. They didn't know in those days about New Zealand or South Africa. They didn't even know the Southern Hemisphere was there. But my gosh, they listened to God, they went to Cyprus, and the whole world changed. Why? Because they were doing what God had told them to do. But they didn't have a secret formula. They just had a principle. They just had a principle. And the principle is quite interesting. There's all sorts of ways you can point to that principle, but one of the passages that tells you about the principle that they used can be found in Mark in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus is sending out his disciples to go and reach the people around him. And he says, This I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What a weird, weird metaphor. I mean, you know, that's a weird metaphor. But, but to Jesus, at least to his followers, it made sense. See, what he was saying to them is you can't do this by a formula. You have to be both shrewd, you have to be both wise, you have to be both clever, and you have to be loving, and gentle, and kind. Not one or the other, both. And it's so interesting to see how that principle now plays itself out in the rest of the chapter. Because they're going to go to three different places in the rest of the chapter, and and just watch what happens. So they leave Syria, and they sail to the island of Cyprus, and and they enact the first part of this formula in a place called Salamis. And if you want to go and look, it's in, in, in chapter 13, verse four and five. And all they do there, is they just get together with the local jewish people at the synagogue and just have a couple of church services that's all they don't do anything spectacular they worship with them they meet with them and they and they tell them about jesus they preach some sermons church just ordinary plain non spectacular non weird just a couple of people maybe that's you Maybe something that holds you back of sharing the gospel is you feel like something, I can't do miracles, I can't lead worship, I can just do ordinary. Part of the formula of these guys, part of their secret as they went and spread the good news and they were trying to be as like serpents and doves was just ordinary, just meeting with a group of people and telling them about Jesus. We don't hear that anything profound happened there. They just do it and then they move on to the next place. And the secret formula, this principle works out in conflicts and conversations and miracles. Now the gears change. In this new place that they go to in Pathos, they meet a guy called Simon the Sorcerer and he's got political connections. And he's connected to one of the really important officials there. And this guy wants to hear about Jesus, this important official. But Simon the sorcerer is not happy with this because he doesn't want to lose his power. And so him and Paul get into, into quite a confrontation and Paul performs a miracle, he strikes the oak blind. Which is, it's only temporary blindness, so it's okay. But, but he actually does something. That serpent comes out in a sense. And so now this is different. This now looks different, and he gets into this deep one-on-one conversation with this important official. It doesn't tell us about all the stuff he does with lots of people there. He gets into this conversation with this one, and, and I'm leaving out details on purpose because I want you to go home and read Acts chapter 13, okay? It's not long, it's short, and if you don't like reading, listen to it on Version. It will read it to you. But go and get the details, because they're amazing. And so here, it's arguments, debates, it's miracles, and it's one-on-one conversations. It's different to the last place, but it has the same result. and We'll see what the result is just now. Some of us may have that kind of personality where we want to debate people where we want to go oh, no, man, come on there's place for that i know all of us in our back of our minds think if i could just do miracles people would definitely get saved well, i mean i'm tempted to think that sometimes but if you read the bible that's not true jesus did lots of miracles and some people believed because of them and other people didn't So when somebody says, well, God is not with you unless you do miracles, they are not being consistent with Scripture. God sometimes uses miracles and sometimes he doesn't. But that's his business. Then they go to another place. So they travel from from Cyprus, from Pathos, they leave Cyprus and they go to a place called Pisidian Antioch. Don't get confused, it's not that Antioch that they left from, it's also in Turkey, so they sail back to the mainland, and then it's, it's a long way from, from Antioch, Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, and there, they use a completely different way. They go to the synagogue, and they get into big theological debates. If you go and read that passage, if you go and read from about chapter 14 to about chapter 48, it's, it it's Paul gets into these technical arguments. They don't read like technical arguments to us, but if you have a Jewish mindset, you'll understand there's big theological debates going on. And almost they're arguing over what the Bible actually teaches. And, And it's understandable that he does that because he's got a group of people there who are steeped in Jewish law. They are looking for the Messiah. They want the Messiah. They're desperate. But when Jesus arrives, he doesn't fulfill their expectations, and so they reject him. And so Paul goes back and he says, this is what the Messiah looks like, this is what the Messiah looks like, ah, Jesus. And we read, if you go and read this, some people go, yes, thank you. Other people go, no, 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 And, and a conflict breaks out, now, Often, as a church, we say, well, if they're going to fight us, that's a sign that God really wants us there. We're just going to stick it out. But they don't do that. They leave. <laughs> they leave. And here's what's amazing. is As we read on their missionary journey, someplace they get persecuted and it makes them stubborn. They just say, we're going to stay here. And they do, and they risk their lives. But other times when they get persecuted, here, you'll read it, eventually they just shake the dust off their feet and they go, we're out of here. Again, there's no formula. There's no, this is the right way. There's only listening to Jesus and being as cunning as a serpent and being as gentle as a dove wherever we are. Because God uses so many different ways. There's no one formula. There's listening to the Holy Spirit. And when he tells us to debate, we debate. When he tells us to be silent, we are silent. When he tells us just to share our story, we share our story. We listen to him and we do what he tells us to do. What was the result of this? What was the result of this journey that these two men went on? The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men in the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What happens? What happens when we as Acts 29, commit ourselves to being a diverse group of people where everybody is equal and where everybody is welcome? What happens when we as that group of people say, we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit, we're gonna do what he tells us to do, how he tells us to do it, and when we spread the good news, where we go around telling people, sometimes with big theological debates and miracles and sometimes just with quiet conversations, What happens? God's word spreads. God's word spreads. I think sometimes we think we have to spread God's word. (laughs) We don't. God will spread his word. We just have to go where he tells us to go. And for some of our church family, it's to Austria. But for some of us, it's just to school, or to checkers, or into our own home. And we spread the word of Jesus. We need to expect that it will be hard. We need to expect that we will experience hardships along the way. And those hardships aren't necessarily a sign that God is either with us or not. We always want to read it, is this, we just need to know that that's what happens. And sometimes it means we leave, and sometimes it means we stay. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. It feels to me like the church today has gotten itself, because we're so used to being in a powerful position, because we're so used to, for many of us, having grown up in a Christian nation, as soon as something happens that we don't like, we think we need to attack people, instead of going, but this is what happens. What we need to do is go on spreading the love of Jesus. That's what we need to do. The other thing that I see here is joy. See, it says that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say who, which ones. Was it Paul and Barnabas? Was it the new believers? Was it the guys back in Antioch? Because they'd already got news that some big stuff is happening. If you read verse 13 of chapter 13, John goes back to Antioch to tell them, obviously, what's going on. Who was it? It was all of them. It was all of them. They were filled with joy. And what was their Joy. Other people are coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our lives are changing. Redemption, the salvation of people, but not just of people, of the world, is starting to happen right in front of us, and we are part of it. We are filled with joy. This Sunday is a very special Sunday. And, and this I want to say it happened by accident. It didn't, it happened through the Holy Spirit. This Sunday, we opened the new cast warehouse downstairs, and by the way, you're all invited after church. If you wanna just go and look at the new warehouse, it's open, there's cast staff there. If you wanna go and pray there, that's part of our mission, part of spreading the gospel in word and deed. It's part of the mission of the church to care for orphans and widows. But we're also sending people to Austria. It's part of, church is happening. We're all getting together to listen to God and hear Him and be guided by the Holy Spirit. I love this Sunday. It's so full of symbolic things of what's happening right here. It happened in worship. I watched some people dancing, other people sitting very quietly, other people literally on their knees weeping before the Lord. A diverse community that gets to look around you, man. There's all shapes and sizes here. There's all ages. It's wonderful. God is doing something just like he did in Antioch all those years ago in Westville today. And I'm so glad I can be part of it. I'm so glad I can be part of, of worshiping God, of spreading his word. I'm glad I can be part of the hardship. I'm glad I can be part of the joy. I'm glad I could be part of the redemption and bringing God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. That's us, Acts 29. Acts 13, let's stand and, and worship God together. Let's celebrate this gift that God has given to us. Lord God, thank you for this great commission that you've given us. Lord, thank you that today we can lay hands on people and send them to Austria. Lord, thank you that today we can can open our our new warehouse that is full of food and clothing and and scriptures and things that will change people's lives and tell them about Jesus. Lord, thank you that we can be together in this room and celebrate your epic diversity just by by our shapes and our colors and our sizes and our cultures and the way we've worshipped you today. Lord, thank you that you have chosen us to do this home ground may the spirit of Christ empower you to love and serve your neighbors as you invite them into your hearts and your homes your lives and your schedules may they come to understand through being loved by you that they're loved by God and can love him in return You are more ready to do this than you realize. Go now in the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.